Join Hoda Kotb for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. I challenge everybody that when we look in a mirror and we see ourselves and we're by ourselves, it's only then that we acknowledge to ourselves what we're not so good at. We try every day to be as good a human being as we possibly can. And only through the assurance of our salvation in Christ do I truly believe that's even possible, which for the most part it isn't, just because we're human beings. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Our guests this week will admit they've had disappointments, failures, and missed opportunities, but they both acknowledge that when they've been through painful experiences, they can look back and see how far they've come through prayer and connecting to God, and what they learn toward creating a better future for themselves and others. We're talking with Hall of Fame pro NFL football player and co-host of the NFL on Fox, Terry Bradshaw plus author and founder of the nonprofit Broken Crown Still Color, which helps people deal with trauma and abuse, Tony Collier. We'll start with Terry Bradshaw's story. My name's Terry Bradshaw, co-host show called Fox NFL Sunday. I played 14 years in the NFL for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm from Shreveport, uh, Louisiana, raised there. Uh, my father was a welder. Mother's a housewife. Shreveport was where I grew up. Spent the summers, the great part of the summer, in Hall Summit on my grandfather's farm. It's where we were barefooted and playing in the woods all day long, stayed outside all day. Nobody came out and hollered for you, looking for you. We walked up and down the, the dirt roads and you know, we uh, made our own fishing poles and we used kite string to fish with. I mean, it's just typical kids having a great time. It's a good way to grow up. I was a horrible student. I don't know how I got out of the first grade. The first day of first grade, I got spanked. Got my hand spanked because the teacher had us standing up and she said, don't lean on your chairs because you'll it'll slip and you'll get hurt. Sure enough, mine slipped. I hit the floor and she's looking on her list. Terry Bradshaw, first day, not a good day. I didn't like school. I liked things like coloring. I liked that. I liked reading. I liked that. I liked recess. I had a hard time remembering stuff. I'd read it and read it and read it and I would always drift, you know, and then have to reread it. Did I read this? No, not drift. Years later found out, you know, I had ADD. But the bad thing about the ADD as a young man was that when it came testing time, I was extremely insecure and scared. 
so I didn't test well. And there was a defensive part of that was to make fun of it. That was the cover-up for making C's and D's. And then when it came time to sign football scholarship, I had to take the ACT test, and, and I made horrible on it. I took it twice. So that was embarrassing, so I couldn't go to a major school. Uh, so people don't, you know, Notre Dame, Yale, LSU, whatever. I signed with the LSU. But I couldn't get in because I didn't have the grades. So they wanted to send me to a junior college. I didn't want to go to a junior college. So I went to Louisiana Tech. Going to Louisiana Tech was the blessing of my life because that was where I needed to be. A small school with a, a small schedule where country people love and everybody building you up and not tearing you down. And it's, if you didn't win on Saturday, that's okay. It was, you know, not, not that it was okay, but it wasn't, you know, the world wasn't coming to an end. And that's where the blessing came from that. The greatest experience I had as an athlete were at Louisiana Tech, no question. My dream in life was to play in the NFL. There's nothing wrong with that. That's kind of a crazy thing. But it got me out of bed every morning. It was something that consumed me mentally, emotionally. It was all about football. And so all I did was throw the football. That's all I did in my spare time was throw the football. Anybody that would catch it, I'd throw it. Going to Louisiana Tech, not passing the ACT, all part of the, well, I'll just say his plan for me. It all works out. Ended up going into the Hall of Fame. Ended up winning Super Bowl. Woohoo! <laughs> I remember um, the church that I got baptized in. Unfortunately, I couldn't get out of church. <laughs> now I say that because I'm talking to you as a child. But we, we Wednesday night, Sunday, the dreaded Sunday night. Are you kidding me? You know, it's a child. We don't want to go to church. You know, it messes up our play day. I think as you mature as a, as a man, and you go back and as a child, and I'm wondering, did I truly and fully understand salvation? And I'd had so much. I'd been married, divorced three times. So much has happened to me in my life and going through a divorce, children, and it just felt like the world was crashing down on me emotionally. And I was just pretty much rock bottom. And that's when I decided I'm gonna go back down, accept Christ as my savior and get saved and get baptized again. It's okay to not view yourself as perfect. The fact that we can, we acknowledge our imperfections is good that we seek a love and forgiveness from God, which he's promised he gives us if we ask him for forgiveness. That's like the greatest message ever, knowing that I can be forgiven of my sins. The only person that's, or the only thing that's ever gonna bring us total peace is gonna be the assurance that God sent Jesus as our savior. And if we believe in him, we have eternal life. I have had every kind of test my entire life for my health. My wife is 
She was in radiology at Baylor in Grapevine. And uh, we know all the doctors. She knows them. And I've had every kind of nerve damage, spine injuries. I've had it all. So I, <laughs> she makes me stay on schedule. I don't skip anything. And I'd always had prostate issues ever since I was 27, which is pretty young. And then I started noticing that it was a little different. And that's when I told Tammy, hey, she said, well, let's get it checked. The first cancer was the bladder cancer. Uh, they said, hey, you got bladder cancer and we'll start treatments in three weeks. Really? Um, so we had to go to Yale six weeks, back and forth, back and forth. And then we finished a six week program and we had a month off. I believe it was about a month off and they'd go back in for check and see. And the, the report was good. But I was getting a spasm in my right neck, side of my neck, and it hurt like crazy. Oh, it would not let up. And I was just going bananas. And so I told Tammy, and she said, well, we had to go back up to Yale anyway uh, for the bladder follow-up. Let's just go in and do an MRI on your neck and maybe it's a disc or something. And I said, okay. We set up with the doctors and they did an MRI and they came out and they said, well, well, you have a tumor in your neck, your throat. So I sent them on a biopsy. They went right to the lab with it and came back and said, you've got a rare form of skin cancer. It's called Merkel cell cancer. They go in, they cut the tumor out and 20 something glands around it, <laughs> emptied my throat basically and started radiation treatment. And um, that lasted, we lived in Houston for six weeks. Then we got diagnosed and we were, you know, the cancer was gone. My wife is, it's because of her persistence. I wouldn't have done an MRI. I'd have just kept putting ice on it and that seemed to help. And then this thing would have been third stage. Instead of third stage, it would have been fourth stage and heaven knows what would have happened. So I'm thankful for her for that because I'd be probably a dead man because I would not go to a doctor. No way. Um, I hear people talk about miracles all the time. I'm not a big miracle guy because miracles come at God's pace, not my pace. I don't like to wear God out. I'm, I'm a big, as I'm doing stuff, pray guy. I'm walking around, I just say, hey Lord, this is a beautiful day, you know. And then you know what I, I discovered the other day, it's okay to argue with God, man, that's been like a relief. So I'm so thankful that prayer's real, prayer's powerful. I believe in it. I've seen, I've seen, the miracles from prayer. This is a prayer for uh, April 2nd from Jesus Listens. Dear Lord Jesus, 
Help me to trust you and not to be afraid. Whenever I start to feel afraid, I need to affirm my trust in you, praying, I trust you, Jesus. As I speak and sing praises to you, your face shines graciously upon me, blessing me with peace. I will trust and not be afraid because you are my strength, you are my song, and you are my salvation. In your loving name, amen. You can see Terry on the NFL on Fox during the 2023 Super Bowl game. Stay tuned to Tony Collier's story after a brief message. It goes without saying, but the Bible has changed so many lives. Take a second and think about if you didn't have access to the Bible or even were allowed to have one. This is a reality that many are facing. That's why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country, and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language. One missionary said, I have never seen such a thirst for the Word of God in my country. Let's meet that need. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24 as a thank you, Crew will provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of the Jesus Listens devotional. Simply text CALLING to 71326 to help today. Imagine just how much this gift could change someone's life. So text CALLING to 71326. That's C-A-L-L-I-N-G to 71326 to help now. Or visit give.crew.org slash calling. Again, that's give dot C-R-U dot org slash C-A-L-L-I-N-G. Message and data rates may apply. Available to U.S. addresses only. Experience the hope of the resurrection with Jesus Calling for Easter. This book offers 50 seasonally themed devotions from Sarah Young's New York Times bestseller, Jesus Calling. Inside, you'll find resurrection truths, hope for the new season, joyous reasons to celebrate, and full scripture verses. Get your copy to create a daily reflection of hope throughout the Easter season. Jesus Calling for Easter also makes a wonderful gift to be cherished for years to come. Our next guest is Tony Collier, author and founder of the Broken Crown Still Color Ministry, an organization that helps women heal from all kinds of trauma they face in their lives. Tony herself faced a series of hardships, enduring verbal, physical, and sexual abuse, and then becoming the primary caretaker of her ill mother, all in her first 20 plus years of life. Fed up with feeling like a victim, Tony was resolute about not letting her darkest seasons define who she was. As she took steps toward healing, she describes finding restoration of broken relationships and new ways to help people in their journey toward healing. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. My name is Tony Collier. I get the opportunity to be the founder of a women's brand called Broken Crayon Still Color. I get to just talk to women and men about brokenness and trauma and what Jesus says about us not only being a holy people, but being whole people as well. 
I grew up in a Houston, Texas, blended family. I had three older brothers. And I remember when I first entered into counseling and told my counselor my story about being, you know, an eight-year-old little girl and taking my mom to doctor's appointments when I was 12 and 13 through a hardship license and filling out her little medical forms and putting the pills in the, the correct boxes for days. And she introduced this phrase to me called parentification. So being a parentified child, it's essentially when we miss the natural progression of your parents taking care of you as a child, then around late 40s, 50s, you kind of start to take care of your parents. Well, that happened to me at eight years old. And so a lot of the awe and the wonder of my childhood was stolen from me because of darkness, because of illness and disease, not necessarily because my mom wanted that on purpose, but because she just wasn't capable to provide nurturing and care. Unfortunately, my dad had to go into full overdrive when it came to work. And so he was present, but not physically present. And that left me really vulnerable to some things. Um, I was sexually abused and manipulated by family members when I was young. I grew up way too fast, thought I was like a little adult at 13. It just kind of opened up the really this unprotective state from the enemy just to come in and steal so much of my childhood and the light that God was really trying to put in it. You know, what's interesting about having a really dark childhood is that sometimes we feel like we can escape the darkness by just going into new situations, new relationships. I thought college would radically change my life because I was moving away from home, the space where darkness lived and entered into my story. But the truth is we leak and you know, you take you with you. And so everything that you've been through, when it's not unhealed, when it is not tended to, it follows you everywhere. And so I had a really verbally abusive dad growing up. But what that meant as a 19 year old was when I got into a relationship, I was a attracted to consciously or subconsciously to the same traits that that my father had these controlling men these very aggressive men I thought it was okay to be called specific names and, you know, to not be really loved and nurtured and cared for because I was so used to harsh words. So that followed into my story and I ended up getting engaged at 19 and moving from Texas with a guy that I had been dating for like three months, which was even worse. And I mean, we're talking doors ripped off the hinges and holes punched in the walls and just a really hard and aggressive situation. And so ended up coming to Georgia, ended up having a daughter in that marriage. And she was the real catalyst to me seeking safety and more, you know, tenderness. And so I ended up getting a divorce. Uh, I saw fear in her eyes for the first time, transitioned out. I talk about this moment that I have at the bottom of the stage and I'm curled up in a ball and I'm just shaking and I'm crying and I'm just like, please God, like take the pain away. And this is like at the beginning of my healing journey. This is like, I'm like diving in and I'm like, Lord, like, please, like, why does it have to be so hard? Why does my life have to be so hard? And I joke now all the time. I'm like, Lord, I don't need any more testimonies. Okay. Like, let it go. I don't need any more testimonies. Just let me live a a normal life here. Okay. But it was in those moments when my prayer life outside of the darkness was cultivated. In my pleading, I got so close to God because it was all that I had that it informed when I had everything. When I had the house and the new marriage and the brand new baby and all the happiness, I was still wonderfully tainted by the pleading seasons. I remember them. What I love so much about 
this redemption part of my story with my dad is I remember sitting him down in IHOP and I was going through my divorce and he was so angry and he kept yelling and he was like, you need to move back to Texas, get out of Georgia, come get your daughter. I'm like, I just don't feel like God's calling me there. And I remember the moment where it kind of like clicked to me as my dad is like yelling and screaming. I'm like, I have been accepting this my entire life. This is where it started. It was almost like God illuminated the origin of my acceptance of toxicity and abuse. And I remember telling my dad, I said, I just want you to know that I think that the way you treat me and talk to me is one of the reasons why I ended up in this really toxic marriage, thinking that I deserved this, that I wasn't worthy of kind words and love. And it's like it clicked for him. He was like, I don't want this for my daughter anymore. And I don't want to be the reason that she continues to be with men that are really aggressive and abusive in ways. I remember my dad hugging me in our living room for the first time, saying that he loved me and praying over me for the first time. And that started this really, really beautiful journey of him and I saying, The first half of our relationship in our life may not have been the best, but if we really do believe that God is a redeemer, then we also believe that He can redeem relationships. He can redeem the time that was lost in relationships. And I know that's not everyone's story, and it wasn't my story for the first 25 years of my life, but I'm really grateful and indebted to God that in this lifetime, while I'm on this earth, I get to have a dad that admires me, that, wow, oh, I'm getting teary a little bit here but that admires me, that's proud of me. I longed for that, those words for 25 years and to hear them now just, it, it makes me so grateful, so grateful. Ended up getting out, became a single mom. Gosh, it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, not necessarily being a single mom, but raising a child while healing my own childhood wounds. It was hard. Had some help from my parents, thankfully, and rebuilt my entire life by just believing that my brokenness and everything I'd gone through didn't discount me, that God still had a real great plan and a purpose for me. I've always just had this drive in me for other people, to care for other people, to save other people, to make sure that they're okay, and to partner hand in hand with God to really get them to their fullest potential. And I think that same thing in me sent me into overdrive with my daughter. I was like, absolutely not. She will not have the same story as me. In really, really dark seasons, I don't think I was praying. I think I was pleading, which is okay too. I think God accepts all of it. We look in the Psalms and David, that poor sweet man, I mean, he was pleading a lot. Like, Lord, turn your face. I am flooding my bed with tears. I'm soaking my couch. Like, it was crazy. He was pleading. And I think that in my moments of pleading is when I felt the presence of God the most. What's interesting is like every, you know, shadow has a gift and every gift has a shadow. And while it's really sad and I've had to go through a lot of counseling, hello somebody, for those years, I look back now and the nurturer and the person that I am to my friends and my husband and my children was cultivated in those early years. I deeply love to care for people. I like to anticipate needs. I want to make sure that they're okay. And in a healthy, more consistent way of living, it's a beautiful thing that I get to do and be for the people that I love around me. Healing is not linear and it's extremely painful. And it's interesting because my rock bottom 
almost wasn't the culmination of everything I'd been through, all the trauma and pain from childhood and the divorce and I mean, all the things being a single mom. My rock bottom moment was when I started the healing journey and had to really look at it and accept that all that had happened, that maybe I wasn't worthy enough for protection as a child, that it wasn't fair that I had to take care of my mom. And it was okay to ask the question, where were all the adults? (laughs) Why was I alone as a kid so often taking care of my mom? That was my real rock bottom. The like North Star that I think we should all be reaching towards when it comes to feeling unworthy, feeling unqualified, like just having some sort of redemption when it comes to being broken is hope. Hope isn't this weak facade. Hope says things can get better. Hope does not say that things will get better tomorrow. (laughs) Hope does not say it's gonna be easy. Hope says it can get better. And I think when we sit down in our mess, we sit down in our counseling sessions, we sit down in the hard conversations that we have, we sit down and look in the mirror and say, oh my gosh, like pain was done to me, but also I caused pain. When we can sit down and say, I am here in the darkest of dark valleys, but I have hope that mountains will come. I have hope that light still serves its purpose in darkness. I think the presence of hope helps us when we're in the lowest of areas. I think what's been the most helpful for me in this season is just accepting believing in the good moments and the bad moments that he is Emmanuel, God with us. The withness of God, I think, spares us from despair. It's the withness. It's always been the Jesus with us, not against us, but completely for us, standing next to us, kneeling next to us, laying next to us when we need him the most. I think what someone needs to hear today is maybe it's not the grief, and the pain and the betrayal and the abandonment that takes you out, but the belief that you would have to feel it all alone. And you do not, we do not, because we have a God that's with us. I I have not forgotten the pain that I've walked through. I have not forgotten how hard it has been to heal. I have not forgotten what it looks like to look your daughter in the eye and she represents some of the hardest parts of your story and still having to love her through it. I don't forget those things. And so what happens is it carries over now into my now prayer life. And my now prayer life looks like gratitude. It looks like I get to meet with a God who didn't leave me, who did not forget in the darkest moments. Jesus Listens, June 19th. Valiant Jesus, you are the champion who perfects my faith. You've been teaching me that the more problem-filled my life becomes, the more important it is for me to keep my eyes on you. If I gaze too long at my problems or at world events that trouble me, I'm likely to become discouraged. Whenever I'm feeling weighed down or disheartened, please remind me to turn to you. I'm grateful that you are continually with me and you always hear my prayers. Instead of just letting my thoughts run freely, I want to keep directing them to you. This gives traction to my thinking and draws me nearer to you. Lord, I praise you 
for your unfailing love that surrounds those who trust in you. I trust you, Jesus. In your invincible name, amen. You can find Tony's new book, Brave Enough to be Broken, at your favorite retailer. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we'll hear from husband and wife pastor duo, Jimmy and Irene Rollins, who spend their life bringing communities together in unity and breaking down barriers where division exists. I believe that unity is the culture of heaven. Uh, And I believe that as we look towards something as powerful as unity, where that scripture says it produces an anointing that enables the body of Christ to command a blessing of togetherness, to command a blessing of love, to command a blessing that our land, you know, be healed of division. And when we acknowledge this unity that the word speaks about, unity defines itself in diversity. It defines itself in difference. Want to hear more inspirational stories of people who have been changed by a closer walk with God? Then subscribe today to the Jesus Calling Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please be sure to leave a review, which helps us reach and inspire others with these stories. Plus, if you like seeing our guests as well as hearing them, you can find video interviews available on our YouTube channel at youtube.com Jesus Calling Book on Facebook and on the Jesus Calling Instagram page.